Welcome to Payday, a podcast focused on the modern employee pay experience. On today's episode, I'm joined by Felicia Cheek to speak to us about financial well-being and how critical a piece it's becoming in the relationship between employees and employers. We're talking about the impact of earned wage access or on-demand pay and discussing the role of payroll in this critical function. Companies tend to look at financial wellness as a need of lower paid employees. And the first thing that you have to do to really have a good comprehensive plan is to look at it as something that any of your employees, regardless of where they are on your payroll, would take advantage of because it could be a financial crisis, it could be a medical situation, there are all kinds of things that would lead an employee to a financial wellness program. Felicia, welcome to the Payday Podcast. Great, thank you. I am excited to be here today. It's, it's great to have you. And I know, Felicia, you're currently the director of HCM Product Strategy at Oracle. But you've been in the global payroll HCM space for some time with some consultancies and and some other organizations. Can you introduce yourself to our audience uh, before we jump into the conversation today? Sure, absolutely. My name is Felicia Cheek, and I'm currently at Oracle working as a product strategist with a primary responsibility for global payroll. That includes our global payroll strategy. And um, prior to joining Oracle, I worked at the Hackett Group, where I was responsible for our uh, payroll or the payroll advisory program. And in that role, I helped large multinational organizations with their global payroll strategy. So for the last 12 years, I've been focusing exclusively on global payroll strategy. Um, overall, I've been in the payroll business for more than 20 years. I won't give an exact number, but quite some time. Very passionate about payroll. Well, it's it's great to have you on the show, Felicia. And, and w- you and I spoke before the recording here about a topic that's really starting to rise up uh, the corporate agenda, and that's financial well-being financial literacy. And what's been particularly interesting is how that topic has had, you know, a relationship with both the payroll industry, the HCM and HR industry. So I'm keen to dive into this topic with you today. So why don't we open up with kind of a broad question in the relationship between employers and employees? How do you see the state of financial wellness and well-being today? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and and definitely to your point, it's one that organizations are surprisingly spending a lot of time on, on just trying to really get a pulse for employees and where they are. And so if we just start like really high level and we look from a worker perspective, mm-hmm. if we look at just the United States, 78% of working Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. In addition to that, most have no or little savings. And then we have 5%, and that number is actually a little bit less than 5% of Americans that can actually afford to invest in the stock market. And then if we look overall at American households, 29% of households with children 
um, experience in food insecurity. And so, again, this is just one country that we're looking at, but it tells a really big story of how and why financial well-being, financial wellness is important. And you say, so how does this roll over into the business world? So mm -hmm. there is an impact to, um, to the work environment, to businesses, to organizations. And so if we look at most organizations, we look at the impact of financial wellness, 77% of workers are stressed. Um, at work, worrying about bills, their ability to pay bills and other financial um, wellness type activities. And what this results in is increased absenteeism, poor customer service and decreased productivity. And so again, that adds to why organizations are, are really looking at financial wellness and really trying to figure out how they can help their employees. And I wanted to add that if we look at what that results in from a financial perspective to, mm -hmm. to employees, if we look at um, at Americans only, most workers are paying that that experience financial um, insecurity. They're paying over twelve hundred dollars a year in fees to cover the poor timing of their paychecks. And and I say poor timing because the timing of the employer may not fit my individual um, needs. And what that twelve hundred dollars is composed of is overdraft fees, late fees interest rates that are over 24% because the inability to pay your bills on time impacts the credit rate, that the, the interest rate that you get, and then check cashing fees. And so all of that adds up and definitely impacts our ability to be, to be productive in the workplace. And I think what's, what's particularly interesting to me, Felicia, is that there have been a number of organizations that have tried to approach this from a perspective of helping solve a problem of financial well-being and financial stress. But there's also been a movement almost concurrent with this to try to enable new kinds of relationships between pay and the paycheck. So for example, today the relationship between the employee and employer actually has the employer set the pay date. Right. So you join a company and you're told, well, we pay on these dates. And sure, in the U.S., that tends to be semi-monthly or bi-weekly. But in most of the world, that's a monthly payroll cycle. So what, what's your perspective on financial well-being and financial wellness being expressed as more just as relief around financial stress, but also enabling that flexibility, enabling employees to have that control of paydays? Uh, have, have you studied that? And what's your perspective on it? Yeah, and, and that is actually a new trend and becoming very, very popular. We're starting to hear things like wage streaming and, you know, where the employee can be paid um, at at the end of the payday, again, versus when the employer's pay date actually is. So that is definitely a trend that we're starting to see and, and obviously influenced by the local legislation. So the trend will be different for each country. Mm -hmm. I think we, we definitely have to have to talk about the legislative impact. But for sure, um, again, that's a, a trend that we are watching and we're starting to see more and more organizations um, try to adjust 
and start to have things like earned wage access that allows employees to access their wages as they're earned. Obviously, there are certain criteria around that, but it does provide a little bit more flexibility. And um, so, so when we talk about flexibility around pay date and payments, there are also things that are starting to emerge around payments where we're having, we're seeing instant pay, we're mm-hmm. seeing, um, uh, we're also seeing digital wallets and, and different types of things. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting um, that in America in particular, because most countries are already uh, electronic from a pay perspective. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting to watch the different types of pay payment methods that come into play since in America, we've kind of lagged with electronic payments. Now we're doing a lot better than we were in the past, but um, not as good as some other countries. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've been studying here at CloudPay, we've been studying the impact of credit card rails on the payment process versus, you know, your ACH or your bank rails. So it's been really fascinating to see what, what you can do by just speeding up how payments are processed as well and what impact that has on employees. But let's let's kind of go back to this financial stress uh, situation and talk about the impact the pandemics had on this. And then, and also some of these problems that we're talking about have existed for some time. So why are employers starting to pay a lot more attention to it now? Yeah, and so that's a that's a good point. Um, a lot of this is not as as new as you would think, um, based on the number of organizations that are actually paying attention to it. But I will say one of the things that we are seeing is we are for the first time um, working with five generations in the workforce. So we've got. Um, a lot of the things that we're seeing, even with flexible work times and some of the things that we're seeing resulting um, after or during the pandemic are being driven by millennials and Generation Z. And from a financial perspective, millennials and Generation Z and Generation Z in particular are very much interested in financial education. They want to be more informed. They want to make more decisions about their finances. And the thing that's really interesting interesting, and driving a lot of change is while they are concerned about retirement, they are more concerned, particularly as it relates to the pandemic, they are more concerned about um, their finances from a short-term perspective. So over the next 12 months, how do my finances look? What do I need to do to make sure that I can make it through a pandemic? Um, like we are experiencing now. So those are all some of the the things that we're seeing that are really driving these trends, right? And when we look at the different generations in our workforce, uh, millennials, who we all know, um, have lots of student loan uh, debt, Mm -hmm. and Generation Z were the most impacted by the pandemic from a financial perspective. And then... Um, I just want to share that there's, um, I've been, you know, looking at a PwC survey um, on employee financial wellness. This is a great survey. If you haven't looked at it, um, I encourage you to. They've been doing it for the last 10 years. So they've got lots of trending information. And some of the things that they did is they looked at the impact of uh, financial stress 
and on employees based on the pandemic. And so they, they measured several different things. So three things that we're going to talk about just a little bit is productivity. So they looked at employees whose financial stress increased due to the pandemic versus those employees whose financial stress did not increase due to the pandemic. And from a productivity perspective, 45% of employees whose financial stress increased during the pandemic um, indicated that their finances have been a distraction at work. When we look at those who mm-hmm. did not experience an increase, 12% indicate that, you know, that their productivity was not impacted. So huge difference there. Most important, though, is big impact on the workforce and, you know, the work that we're doing. So that PWC survey is really interesting. I, I, I've been looking at that as well. And I think what's particularly important interesting for me. And I wonder if you could talk about this idea of absenteeism and presenteeism and how that's starting to show itself in the workforce and its relationship to financial well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, they're different, but they're one and the same, right? So um, absenteeism, you know, sickness, illness, and being away from work where you're not there to, to physically do your work obviously has an impact on the organization or on the business, but also presenteeism. So even though you're there and you're in the office, you're there, you're doing your work, but not quite as productive or as efficient and effective as you could be if you were not thinking about things that are not work related, those things are actually impacting your ability to be productive at work. And some of the things, the the other thing that I also don't want to lose sight of is when we talk about the CHRO and the things that they are focusing on in their role, a lot of it has to do with uh, employees being productive and employee well-being in general in the workplace. So this is definitely, it's, it's kind of driven its way to the top, even though you have mentioned before, David, that it's not a new issue. It's it's always been an issue, but we haven't seen as much of an impact on the workforce that we're starting to see. And then, of course, with the changing priorities because of the gener- the different generations in our workforce. So again, all of that is, is playing a role in absenteeism and presenteeism. It's an interesting thing to kind of think about how organizations are studying presenteeism with all of the technology that now allows organizations to have a better sense of how engaged their employees are, you know, a little bit big brotherish in some ways, but also when it's used for things like understanding employee engagement, their presence, how distracted they are, really powerful. But, you know, a lot of the things we're talking about today, people's finances are not things people are likely to speak up about in a workforce, right? It's It tends to be something that a lot of people keep private. Perhaps there are some feelings of shame or embarrassment over admitting they need help. So how are employers trying to address this in a way that's comfortable and maybe allows employees to maintain that privacy about needing to deal with financial issues? Yeah, and that that's a really good point that, you know, employees 
generally want these type services and this type of tension, but I don't want you to know it's me. So I want you to have it available for the masses, but I want you to ensure that there's a level of confidentiality. Mm-hmm. So when we when we start to look at, and again, this is referring to the PwC survey, um, they surveyed companies and employees about um, the types of uh, assistance, the level of assistance that they want, right? And, and keeping in mind to your point that there's a, a level of confidentiality that's very, very important when we're talking about finances. But 51% of employees, they want to make their own decisions from a financial perspective, but they want some assistance. So they want some tools and they want some education. Mm-hmm. And then we have another 36% of employees that say, you know, I want to I, I want to make my financial uh, own financial decisions, mm-hmm. but I want specific prescriptive advice. So tell me exactly what I need to do and I'll do that. And that's what we're starting to see, particularly when we look at Gen Z and millennials. They want that education. They want to be as prescriptive as possible. And then we we see another 13%, again, looking at the workforce. And so we've got baby boomers. We've got traditionalists that are more mature financially because they've been around a little bit longer. And they're saying that's another 13%. Um, basically, I don't need anyone else's help. I'm fine. I understand what I need to do. And so if you think about that and you look at the numbers, that's 87% of employees do want help for per- personal finances. So that that's a that's a large um, number in the workforce. And one other thing I wanted to add is when you look at the services and we talk about confidentiality, we know that 87% of employees want um, tools and things from their employer, but the number of employees that are actually using that has increased over the last 10 years. It's increased significantly. It's it's more than 50% increase of employees that are using the services. So we have, when we look at the data, we've got all the signs. And you know, obviously now when we look at inflation resulting from the pandemic, we look at our supply chain, which is inducing inflation. Obviously, these are all things that um, that are very clear and they're added value for employers. It's it's definitely an added value to your employees to have these type of tools available to them. You get the best out of the employees um, when you have this type of tools and services available to them. And Felicia, I, I want to take the conversation towards a particular function and see what role payroll has to play in this. But before we do, I, just coming back to something you said a little bit earlier when we were talking about the number of employees that are expressing a need for this, why do you think employers are the best position to solve that versus, you know, banks, financial institutions where those employees maintain their funds and have the transaction history and their bill pay? Why do you think employers are best positioned or maybe well positioned to try to address this problem? Yeah, that basically because for many, they are the primary source of income or revenue. And so when I'm getting paid once a month or I'm getting paid every two weeks, 
I'm waiting for, I'm generally waiting for funds that I've already earned. Mm -hmm. So I've earned it, but I don't have it. And that the pay date is determined based on things that are good for the employer, which we certainly understand. But I, as an employee, um, had no input in that and it just doesn't work for me. And remember when I said initially, we look at $1,200 a year in fees because of the timing of, of payslips. So they're definitely, this is where they have the most financial interaction. They have the most credibility, you can say, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm providing my services to make your organization better or more productive. And so naturally, the probably the, the first place that most people would go because it's not alone. That's the that's the main thing. It's not alone. I'm being paid for my services. I will say that we are starting to see financial institutions, um, credit cards start to be a little bit more sensitive toward these things, primarily because with the pandemic, our normal has changed in every single way. And, um, you know, finances are, are not unfortunately exempt from that as well. Yeah. And it's it's encouraging to see different kinds of organizations try to solve these problems. I've seen financial institutions like banks, you know, start to allow you to access your direct deposit funds two days or three days earlier than they get deposited, right? Without any fees or associated with it. Absolutely. So there's, there's the private sector trying to solve this as well. And you're right, that credibility that employers have with employees does position them in a good space. And what, what do you think that does around loyalty to the brand? What, what does that do around kind of the reputation of the employer with the employee? It, exactly. I mean, it increases exponentially because this is, you know, the, the company that cares for me is is the company that I want to be with, right? I'm going to do my best as an employee. And, and one of the things that, that we saw in the PwC's uh, survey as well is the attraction of employees to companies that care, that they feel care about their financial well-being, um, even those that were not negatively impacted due to the pandemic from a financial perspective are more interested in companies that are interested in their financial well-being. Mm -hmm. And and let me just say one of the things I haven't said, and usually every time I talk about financial wellness, I have to say this because companies tend to look at financial wellness as a need of my lower paid employees. And the first thing that you have to do to really have a good comprehensive plan is to look at it as something that any of your employees, regardless of where they are on your payroll, would take advantage of because it could be, you know, a financial crisis. It could be a medical situation. There are all kind of things that would make an employee or, or would lead an employee to a financial wellness program. Some of the things in a comprehensive financial wellness program. So I, I just want to add that it's not just for lower paid employees because there's all different um, needs that may occur that um, that push you toward this. Yeah. And I think even for some very high income earners, it might provide investment flexibility or very cognizant of time value of money. So so I think you're even enabling that population of your employee base. Yeah. And I was just going to give a, a, another example during the pandemic when um, 
Uh, there were employees that some employees may have taken a reduction in pay. And as a result, they were able to get unemployment to make up the difference. Mm -hmm. And those unemployment payments took a long time to actually kick in or get started. And so there was a financial burden on those employees who may have, you know, earned more in your company as far as, you know, the ranking of their earnings, but they had a temporary financial burden that they needed to solve. So some of these programs might be effective for them as well. Yeah. And I think the, the other perspective that I've recently heard is you're as an employer, you're not just supporting your employee, you're often supporting the family unit associated with that employee. Right. And and what is the earning situation for, um, you know, the their partner, their kids or whatever it is that, that that unit's composed of and really thinking holistically about the financial situation of that unit and not just the employee. Absolutely. We recently had a call with um, with the CHRO of a really large organization, and this comes back to this idea of financial issues are private a lot of times, right? So how do you as an employer really understand that there is a need for this in your install base and where that need will be you know, most immediately appreciate, you know, solved. And one of the things that was really interesting is we put the PWC survey, we put the EY surveys around financial well-being, and there's there's a number of organizations that have been studying this. And when we put a lot of these data points in front of the CHRO, she said something that I think a lot of CHROs would probably say, which is, well, if this is such a big problem, how come I don't see a lot of it in my organization? How come I'm not hearing about it? And I think that was such an interesting comment because it speaks to the privacy component. So, so how do you think CHROs or heads of global payroll or even CEOs of an organization really get a better grasp on how much of that macro problem exists within their organization as well? I think it's really looking at the impact and understanding the impact. So we always talk about productivity. We talk about absenteeism. Those are some of the things that CHROs, um, CEOs, C level in general are going to see. That some of the driving um, the driving forces behind you know a lack of a decrease in productivity, an increase in absenteeism could be, and probably in many cases are financial you know financial instability. So that's one thing that they have to look at. The other thing is looking at in general. Um, some of the things that are goals, like employee productivity, again, workplace morale, you know, you can do surveys that, you know, if, a, if an employee feels like it is confidential, you may get a little bit more information. You have to be creative, but even addressing mental health issues and making sure that you're providing competitive benefits and looking at the exit interview when you're talking about retention and maintaining uh, high performing employees, what are some of the things that they're talking about? How can you help? And if you're seeing that wages, earnings, benefits, some of those things are common themes. You can pretty much relate those to financial wellness mm -hmm. of your employees. So I would say being observant, looking at, you know, understanding what impacts the metrics that matter to your organization. And I, I hate to keep saying productivity, but productivity is one of those big ones. And then looking at some of the driving factors behind productivity. What do you need for employees to be productive? You need them to be to work on time. You need them to understand their job. You need to them to be 
present when they're there? And then if they're not present when they're there, what are some of those things that could be keeping them away? And like you said, you know, family mm -hmm. issues, transportation, so on and so on. It does take a little bit of diving into the underlying issues, but I think most CHROs, C-level in general, can be comfortable knowing that financial wellness programs are just becoming more popular because they're very much needed in today's environment. And let me just add also, if I, you know, I work remote, so most of the time I have the news on, even if I don't have the volume, I can see what's going on. It's probably not a great thing, right? But in today's society, there are so many things that, you know, inflation, the food shortages, the price of gas, all of those things you can rest assured are impacting your employees as well. Felicia, you know, one of the things we uh, we talked about is the role that the payroll function has to play in financial well-being. And, and it's not typically something payroll professionals have had to deal with in the past. Although advanced payments and things like that, they do speak to the need for that in certain pockets of the, the employee base. What do you think is the role that the payroll function should play in financial well-being? Yeah, and and this is this is really exciting to me because financial well-being is so important and it's front and center. And payroll has an opportunity to really be a star. Uh, some of the the things that payroll does, if you just look at the employee life cycle, just starting with the onboarding process. It's payroll's responsibility to ensure that employees know how and when they get paid, um, that they understand their pay slopes and how um, and they know how to make use of benefit schemas or tools that like earn wage access. So really introducing the employees to their payroll, making sure they understand how to read it. You know, not only how I get paid, how I get paid overtime. Do I get paid overtime current or should I expect it on the next payroll? So all of those things. And I hear lots of payroll organizations that are not as involved in the on onboarding process as they want to be. This is a time to really push for that. And then if we look at um, providing insights to employees as they progress through the company and they receive raises. So being able to provide, you know, inside uh, pay slip or pay uh, model their pay changes when they have uh, life events, um, you know, things change. All of that is is a, a an important role, and it's 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 very critical to the employees' confidence in their financial well being. Also, influencing engagement and retention of the staff, which is we we know a really big deal, mm -hmm. right? So, making sure that employees get paid accurately and on time is obviously it's expected. It's most important when we talk about payroll, and that's every single employee. So, you know, this is what I always say about payroll and accuracy. Payroll accuracy has to be 100% because everybody wants to be paid on time and they want their earnings to be correct. And then finally, at the end of the pay cycle for leavers or retirees, payroll really is key to providing uh, information on accrued leave and understanding all of the things that are calculated over time that impact your final payment. So just making sure that employees are comfortable when they walk away from the organization, that they feel like they've been paid correctly, they've been paid fairly, and most important, that they understand how to contact the pension providers or any 
of the other services that they will need after they leave the organization. This is a time for payroll organizations to really step up and make sure that employees are well-educated, well-informed, and take every opportunity to educate your employees, to use tools and techniques and, and make those available to your employees so they understand where they are at all points in their life cycle. Do you see that over time we're starting to move the payroll function in a more strategic direction or in a different direction here that that's going to change the kind of practitioners that maybe enter the space as well? Yeah, absolutely. This with a, a lot of other things um, that are going on today around automation, around insight, um, definitely help elevate the payroll professional in the organization and increase the value proposition overall. And um, you had asked a question before, David, about the CHRO and just understanding the impact of financial wellness on their organization. There's insight that payroll has on the types of questions people or employees are asking, the number of times employees, and, and it doesn't have to be specific. It shouldn't be specific, in fact, to an individual employee. But in general, these are the trends that we're seeing with earned wage access, where, you know, this many employees are accessing every pay period, questions about when I get paid, my overtime, and all of those things, all of those type, uh, that type information is insight that should be passed on for decision support across the broader organization. And when we can provide insight that helps with decision support, that really helps elevate the payroll professional across your organization. That's a really good point, Felicia. I think there are a number of things that are now driving the payroll profession into a more strategic direction. What about the very basics of the payroll cycle? Do you see the payroll cycle changing and you know the frequency of payroll cycles as earned wage access or other financial well-being and financial access tools become available to employees? Yeah, and and so we're going to see, and I've been looking and, and kind of studying earned wage access for many, many years. And initially, um, lots of hesitation, mostly from a compliance perspective, but we're starting to see, at least in the U.S., and this will be based on local legislation, so it'll be different in each country, but we're starting to see more and more organizations become open to it and actually realizing, and particularly in certain industries, that it is an option, it's a benefit to employees, that most organizations, if they don't already have it available, I'm seeing more and more organizations that are looking at it, you know, exploring ways to make it available to their employees. And so we're we're going to see more of that. And when we talk about the flexibility that employees are requesting around their earned wages, this is the great, the best opportunity, I would say, to make that available, to make wages available to employees at the time that they need it. So not necessarily what's good for the company, although we're concerned about that, but also how can we have that good mix of what's good for my organization as well as what is good for um, the individual employees. So we'll see more and more companies offer earned wage access. Um, they'll have different programs for doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's up to the employee to use it when they need it. And every employee will not use it. The employees will not use it at the same time, but it's a benefit and it becomes a competitive benefit for most organizations to have available to their employees. 
think you talked a little bit about the fact that there are five different generations in the workforce right now. And I think all of them will have different ways that they use earned wage access and different expectations. One of the things we've seen organizations ask and implement is as they deploy earned wage access is because, you know, they rightfully have some concerns, I think, around, well, will this be misused? Will we in some ways be encouraging even poorer financial decisions? So we've seen some organizations deploy this and put some guardrails in place, right? So maybe they'll say you can't take more than this amount, or you can't do it more than this many times in a pay period. Do you see payroll playing a role in helping to set those guardrails and guidelines? Yeah, absolutely. And I would just say that payroll definitely has to play a role in it because you also, in doing this and setting your rules, setting your guidelines, you also have to minimize the risk to the organization. That's where payroll actually plays a a big role in understanding that we've got employees that have garnishments, we've got employees that have other deductions that have a priority. So we want to make sure that we have enough wages left over to cover those expenses. So absolutely, payroll will play a big role. And remember, when I talk about decision support and you know how you help the, or the broader organization with your insight, payroll should play a role and needs to be at the table um, in these type conversations. Because no one understands the risk to the organization better than payroll. There's so much more on this topic, um, but um, I'm curious, is there anything else you think organizations should think about when they consider implementing solutions that address financial well-being or, or pay flexibility? Yeah, so I, I would say, you know, the first thing is is understanding um, how it suits your organization, um, your employee population, how will they respond to it? And some industries are going to be a lot more receptive than others. But this is why when you're building a financial wellness program, it has to be robust and it has to have all different flavors because employees will have different needs, right? And then you want to ensure, obviously, that the rules that you put in place will minimize the risk to the organization because while we want to monitor and we want to ensure that we're not putting the employees in a, in a bad financial or worse financial predicament, we also want to ensure that the company or your organization is, is not experiencing additional risk or financial obligations because of this. And um, the other thing that you'll want to think about is that, you know, there, there sometimes is a cost in implementing and running uh, earned wage access programs. So you want to consider how that ba- um, balances with the time and cost savings that you'll that employees will receive. Um, and also the workload for the payroll organization. Are there additional responsibilities that payroll takes on because of this? At the end of the day, it's really about how you can help your employees employees improve their financial literacy and build better um, future-proof their finances uh, with financial education tools. And, you know, that goes to, as I mentioned before, you need to think of all different things in your financial wellness program. It doesn't need to just be earned wage access. You've got to have tools, educational tools. You've got to have debt management tools. There's, There's all different things that you want to think about including. Felicia, thank you so much for being on the Payday Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here to talk about a topic so important. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed talking about financial literacy and education. To listen to this episode or any other episode of the Payday Podcast, go to cloudpay.com 
or look for the Payday Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.